Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 237. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Finding Dory, which, well... It's, it's still up for debate whether we just found this movie or not. <laughs> no, we had definitely seen this before. I'm not sure what your mental block is. I, probably alcohol. The only <laughs> thing I could think is that when we watched this, I was completely annihilated. Like on a Friday night that I was like out of work and we were just, or we could have watched it during 2020 because everybody was drunk for 2020. It is completely possible that that's when we watched it for the first time, and I have no recollection of it. Well, it did come out 2016, which is the year we got married, so it's also very plausible that we may have had a couple and decided to check it out. Or, because we watched it back-to-back with Finding Nemo, and we thought it was just going to be more of the same. I, I'm telling you. So, here's here's what happened. We knew that we were going to do this as a follow-up to Finding Nemo. Jackie went back to New York for a week. Usually, we do our viewings of the films together. But in this case, because she was in New York, I stayed here in Florida, we did the viewing separately. I got about seven minutes into this movie, and I texted you, and I said, we've never seen this before. No, and then you completely threw me because when I got home and I watched it, I was like, wait a second, did we? And and I vaguely remembered the beginning. Then I remembered nothing and I was like, okay, maybe maybe we turned it off, which is so unlike us. It wasn't until we got to Hank and the introduction of Hank that I was like, okay, no, we did see this. Uh, the jury's out on that, but... <laughs> No, we saw it. We definitely did. <laughs> is it something that we will be reviewing again in the future? By reviewing, I mean we go back and we watch it. Um, is it something that could become a staple for us? Is this one of the rare sequels that did it better than the original? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, every Everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections. As a child, we see Dory get pulled into the undertow and become separated from her parents. As she got older, she forgot about them due to her short-term memory loss. One year after the events of Finding Nemo, Dory has a flashback of her parents and decides to return to them. She remembers that they lived at the Jewel of Morrow Bay in California, so she, Nemo, and Marlin set off on their adventure with some help from Crush. After awakening a giant squid and narrowly, uh, narrowly escaping, Marlin scolds Dory for her actions shortly before she is captured by staff coming from the Marine Life Institute, and she is then put into quarantine where she is tagged. There she meets Hank, an octopus who is also a hypochondriac, and agrees to help Dory find her parents in exchange for her tag, which would ship her to Cleveland, because he does not want to go back to the ocean. He would prefer to go live in 
Cleveland. Just goes to show how rough life in the ocean can be. We also meet Destiny, a nearsighted whale shark who was quote-unquote pipe pals with Dory as children. They used to communicate through the pipes at this aquarium, as well as Bailey, a beluga whale who was injured and believes that he has lost his ability to echolocate. As time goes on, Dory has more flashbacks and continues to piece together her past while Marlin and Nemo attempt to rescue her. With help from Fluke and Rudder, two sea lions, as well as a loon named Becky, they find their way into the aquarium where they are reunited with Dory and eventually make their way to quarantine where Dory's parents are said to have gone. They arrive and Dory is told that her parents have been gone for years and she fears them dead. So she then, after a folly of, uh, folly of mistakes, flees and chaos ensues, and she ends up back in the aquarium where she follows a trail of shells and finds her parents because she remembers that she used to follow the shells home and she used to go and pick up shells for her parents. It is at that point that Nemo, Marlin, and Hank are put into a truck as well as the other fish from quarantine as they are on their way to Cleveland. Bailey, Destiny, Dory, and her parents escape, in, and with some help from sea otters, they set up a distraction, stopping the truck on the road. At that point, Hank and Dory steal the truck, crash it into the ocean, and all of the fish return to the ocean, as well as Dory, her parents, and Hank, who has now decided he does not want to go to Cleveland. Okay. Let's... We start with little Dory, little baby Dory, right? And she's suffering from her short, uh, her, I knew I was going to eat that, her short-term memory loss. Memory loss. She's so cute. She is a lot of fun. See, I in this form, I like her a lot. I think that it's a good introduction to her. I felt that it was a good introduction to her parents because what what this does well with the parents is that it's it's comedy in the beginning but you see later in the film and in more flashbacks just like what a toll this takes on them so i i love this introduction for them especially as do i this is an incredibly strong open and in some ways this may be tougher to watch than the opening of finding nemo with coral because even though we don't love that movie we did praise the open for Coral having that maternal instinct kick in and wanting to protect her babies, even though she made a stupid decision the way that she went about it. Um, so here, as you said, they really tap into the emotion. They picked the perfect age for Dory. They could have done this so many different ways where she was, you know, a really little baby, but having her talk and bringing us in at the moment where she is trying to understand her condition. Yeah. Um, it was just so brilliant because she's old enough to understand what's happening to her, but really still too young to do anything about it. It's almost like the heartbreak when a child loses a grandparent where they're old enough to understand what death is, but not to fully grasp what what it truly means and how long they're going to have to live without them. Right. Um, and I I feel like that's the reaction that I had here. Um, and they also did such a 
an amazing job of capturing the struggle of parenting a differently abled child. Because to your point, they do really build on that because here they're sort of playing it for comedy, but we really are going to see the struggle of Dory's parents. But the way that they're trying to explain this to her they're trying to get her to understand as much as they possibly can, but the more important takeaway is what to do if she does get lost, and they're just trying to reach her and and get the tiniest piece of information through to her of, okay, just follow the shells home, and, you know, hopefully everything works itself out, but it's, you know... I feel like they really just got it when you're teaching your kid what to do in, emer- in an emergency. I also, at this point, because I, I can't remember if we discussed this on air or off air last week. I thought we discussed it on air. Like, was was Dory's character sort of like a euphemism for, say, like ADHD or something like that? And were they using short-term memory loss as opposed to coming out and actually tagging it with that sort of condition and I wasn't so sure but now that I've seen this in this scene in particular uh, in particular because they they're playing um I, th- I think they're playing hide and seek right yes and which I think was sort of a dangerous move well the parents didn't go all that far but what you saw here and this is to my point it's sort of a useless scene because we already know that she's got this short-term memory loss, but the fact that she can't... One, two, three, sand. I like sand. Sand is soft. And I'm wondering, like, if they were trying to pepper in that there's something else going on here. Because, remember, it's Pixar. Pixar, for the longest time, was brilliant at doing this exact thing. Mm. Showing you one thing... And hiding it behind something else. Yes. No, if that's what they were trying to do, then kudos to being inclusive and, you know, giving families that are dealing with that um, a visual representation and and something that they can relate to. Yeah, because it's different when it's adult Dory who's just, I'm forgetful. Ha ha ha. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this takes it in a totally different direction. You're right. And I was going to save this for later on in the review because I don't want to give too much away but I think story-wise it is important to mention it's nice to see this develop because this is how we turn Dory from a plot point in Finding Nemo to a fully developed character which is something that we've been very critical of Loki for I will die on the hill, and I know it's going to be a very lonely hill of Loki works better in Thor than he does on his own. Um, So I think they were very successful at setting that up right away. What I was sort of surprised about was that Dory's journey to Marlin is a montage, and that's not this entire film, which is what I thought it was going to be at first. I thought it was going to be her survival story from losing her parents to finding her found family. Yeah, instead, she finds Marlin in the first, what, five minutes of screen time. Right. But I actually like that. I like where we picked up where we left off. Um, Because, frankly, when you get to adult Dory, 
at least in the first few minutes of screen time, it reminds me of everything that I found genuinely unfunny about Dory in Finding Nemo. So I think the fact that we montaged her, got her met up with Marlon, who I, I mean, you know that Nemo and Marlon are going to be in the film. I could have lived with less Marlon and lived with more Dory at this point, but I like that we picked it up and that they immediately kind of changed the trajectory of the film because I think that by doing that, I think that they got back on course to do what you had just said and take Dory and turn her into a fully developed character. Right. I mean, it was sort of a surprise, though, because eventually we're going to learn that she's originally from California. So it does sort of beg the question, how did she make it to Australia? But it's certainly not a detriment to the film, because then we do get this little slice of life moment to see how she is blending in in the drop off with Marlon and Nemo and that, you know, Marlon and Nemo have really taken over as parents because they're making sure that she's not getting up in the middle of the night yeah. and wandering off. And it, it almost that sort of reminded me of, um, you know, what it's like dealing with aging parents. And I almost feel like that was sort of a wink and a nod to the audience, too, to give them something relatable. Like, you know, if you have a parent with either Alzheimer's or dementia that goes and wanders off, I mean, that is really a thing that happens in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. Um, well, my my mother dealt with it with my grandmother for years. Yeah, um, it it's a very real thing, and I'm I'm glad that they addressed it, um, as well as giving something Dory for for Dory to do during the day. Even yeah. though I feel like this is where they sort of struggled, because she goes to be the teacher's assistant, and I feel like she's able to remember a little bit too much here. Yeah, this is where this kind of flops here. Her just repeating over and over again everything else that gets said again this is it's not funny i i'm sure a six-year-old will giggle at it but it's genuinely not funny there's a there's a great reproduction joke in here that definitely lands it does comedy wise but it sort of brought me out of the movie a little bit because i feel like dory in finding nemo she would have never remembered that she was supposed to be repeating things for that long that went on first of all it it was a pace killer because it wasn't very funny um but I just kind of felt like she repeated maybe five lines that the singer I said and I feel like in Finding Nemo it would have been three before she tapped out or like to your point when she was counting in the beginning and then it was ooh sand I feel like that went on for far too long and then how does she remember the birds and the bees talk, you know? Well, this is the thing, right? It's not like they've been developing the idea that her memory's getting better. Right. And then she exactly. starts to have these flashbacks. It's that she still forgets everything, but it's very convenient when she doesn't. They do sort of address it with a throwaway line because she does. I forget which character she tells, but she says, my memory does work when it has to make sense. Like she can sort of piece things together to to function i mean that really is the whole character right but i like how they introduce these flashbacks from dory's pov yes. and that that's what that certain objects or certain settings are triggering the memory 
Right. And I wish that they would have played up on this idea, perhaps, that now that she's in this grounded atmosphere, that she has a found family, that she's starting to retain certain things, that her memory is starting to get better, and that short-term memory loss... Because in Finding Nemo, short-term memory loss is literally everything that she comes into contact with. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's how short-term memory loss can work. But if they would have developed the idea that she still has moments where she's forgetful and moments where she can retain things, where they have her inner routine, they could have probably married that idea to what we saw in the beginning with her parents. And I think it would have filled in some of the holes where, you know, to your point... How is she remembering this? And how is she a teacher's assistant? They could have played with it a little bit, and I think it would have cleaned up the mess just just a little bit. Well, teacher's assistant, it's not her job. They just assign that to her for the day because uh, the Stingray didn't even want to take her, right? if you remember. And then she kind of gives herself that job for the day. Even still. It does seem odd that we went from remembering virtually nothing to now we remember things when we have to. It feels like if there's anything that cheapens the plot of the movie, it feels like you just made this up so that you could make a sequel. Yes, but I will sort of let that slide because we said it last week. We find Dory incredibly annoying in Finding Nemo. How are you going to have a main character? And I, I think that they realize that, you know, because she was written to children. So that was a challenge of making this film. And I, I said it earlier, I think it's a success that they were able to give her that foundation again so that we recognize the character, but they were able to do it without making her annoying because otherwise, why are we going to root for her? Right. And I, there was a cop out moment where she had the flashback and she's like, all right, I'm going to find my parents. And I'm like, Marlon and Nemo, they're trying to prevent her from going. Well, no, it's Marlon that's really yeah. trying to prevent her from going. Nemo is very supportive. When the three of them all go off together, I had a moment of, OK, I know it's called Finding Dory, but. Are we going to find ourselves with Nemo in peril again? With Marlin in peril again? Are we basically just rehashing the same idea twice under a different banner? Right. Now we get reintroduced to Crush, who's only in the film for a few moments. I love that we have him back. I love that he plays a role in helping them get to California by riding that current. But... I don't think we needed more of him. Like, as much as I would have liked to have more of him, at that point, it would have been too much of a good thing. I completely agree, and yet it's surprising that they didn't give us more of him because he was such a breakout character from Finding Him. I mean, you know, they they have the whole attraction, which is brilliant. What a great way to utilize him as far as being able to interact and talk to kids. But it's surprising that a character that would... Uh, you know, contribute to conceptualizing an attraction like that, they would just sort of breeze past him in this film. The only thing I will say, I feel like it took, it was way too short of a journey to go from Australia to California. Like, I'm surprised they didn't have some sort of stop in between, in which case we probably would have had more crush. Um, But it just felt very quick. What I love most about this scene, though, is Marlon's suffering. Not going to lie. 
I, I enjoy this. He got what was coming to him. Feed the fish. Yeah. And when what happens after that with the squid? <clears throat> Listen, nobody understands and sympathizes with the frustration that is dealing with Dory the way that I do. If you've, you know, obviously listened to last week's episode. However, Marlon, he should be sushi. I would be fine <laughs> because this whole thing with the squid, yes, it puts them in peril and it puts Nemo in danger again because what is Nemo if not always in danger in the eyes of Marlon? He's just so downright rude and mean-spirited towards her. It, in reality, like, it's, I didn't think this was really her fault. So for him to go to zero to 60 and, like, immediately just shuns her and puts her down, like, I'll give them this. They're on brand. They are consistent with the character. But this is not a consistency that is going to make you fall in love with a character who is so dislikable from the first that he has literally not grown at all by the time we get to the second film. Right, because we've seen this already when he puts her down and, and tries to shake her off. But this time, this time he crossed a line because he says to her, go over there and forget it's what you do best. It's unbelievably low, even by Marlon's standards. But where they do save it is that they build on that. And they have Nemo call Marlon out throughout the rest of the film for saying that. That is now the motivation to, to reunite with Dory. Because Nemo sort of guilts Marlon into it because he said that to her. Yeah, I think that what this film accomplishes well, other than building on Dory and fleshing her out as a character and making her far more likable as she starts to remember things, they really do an outstanding job of building Nemo as yes. a character. Yeah. I, I think that they build Nemo as a character more here than they did in his own film. I would agree, but I, I don't think that you needed to do much more. Like, you you give us enough to latch onto and to like about him so that we are rooting for him and Marlon to be reunited and for him to survive the dentist office. But because he's working in such a small space, I don't know what else you could have done with him. That's why it was populated with so many other vibrant characters in the, in the fish tank. Yeah. Um, here, there's many more ways to have him grow. And I think that you also need that to balance out Marlon. Otherwise, I mean, it, Marlon does feel like a retread because he's still just being mean. But this is where you see the growth in Nemo because he's the adult, really, on this journey for Marlon. I, I just feel like Marlon exists. I said it in last week's episode. And I, nothing has changed in regards to my opinion of, of him as a character and the way that he's written. I'm really starting to feel like his sole purpose, the entire reason why he exists, is to be so mean that you just like other characters by default. So the question then becomes, did they really need to do that? Because now you're going to separate them again. Dory is off on her own. And what I really like that they're doing is that, you know, we hit on this a little bit earlier, that 
she's now seeing things that trigger memories. The only thing that I bump on a little bit about this scene, though, is that as the audience, we recognize this kelp from when Dory as a child first got separated and she meets that other couple that tried to help her. Yes. I would have liked to see them again here help her along because they do it later with Destiny, who remembers her as a child. So it would have been nice to have everyone leading her through back to her parents. And I don't think that would have taken away from her character arc at all as far as having to figure out on her own because it still would have sort of kept her in that place where she's forgetful and she does need to lean on other people. So I'm really surprised we didn't see those fish again. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the Sigourney Weaver cameo. This was where... I started second guessing, did we actually watch this or not? Because I forgot all about this and I don't know how that I did. Brace yourselves, kids. There's a Ghostbusters reference a coming. I don't think so. <laughs> actually, I don't think so. But if anything, because of Ghostbusters, that's where I would have remembered this. And I have no, I'm telling you, maybe you watched this. <laughs> maybe I was physically in the room. Either 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 there was wine or vodka that took me out of the viewing or I fell asleep or I don't know what, but I'm telling you, it's at this moment that I should have gone, oh my God, of course, how could I forget? I am telling you, I have no recollection of us ever watching this movie. I truly can't believe that that wasn't the thing that triggered it. For- the irony being, you forget this and we're talking about finding Dory. Yeah. That was sort of lost on me until this moment. But I love this because when you hear her, you're like, wait, what? what is this? Where? Why are you having Sigourney Weaver by name here? But I love that they play up on this idea that you get the celebrity narrator. Yes. Right? Because you see that you see it in museums, like Graceland, it was Stamos. Yeah. Um, you see it in the parks. Yeah. I, I, I love that this is what they did because she does have such like a calm, soothing voice that putting her in this setting was absolutely, like, on the money. Yeah, it was perfect. And it totally makes sense that Dory's originally from California, why they would also have a celebrity narrator at an aquarium, of all things. Yeah. I love, 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 love the introduction to Hank. Hank is just so brilliant on every single level. It, it was such a smart choice to do this as a story device because you are quite literally playing off the idea of a fish out of water. And now you have a means to get Dory around on land. So it was just such a brilliant choice um, because we've seen, you know, pelicans in the first one. And we've also seen that juxtaposition of a fish tank versus the ocean and playing off that idea of, well, you're a big fish in a little pond versus a a little fish in a huge pond. Right. And to their credit, they did do that very well in the first one and they struck that balance. But here, I think that was probably a big part of the challenge is how are we going to do this again and make it feel different and not have the entire thing taking place in an ocean? Um, So I'm really glad that they eliminated the idea of fish tanks altogether. And now you have like the perfect middle ground 
you know, a place that's not quite as big as the aquarium, not as small as where I'm sorry, not quite as big as an ocean, not as small as a fish tank. It's it's the perfect middle ground to have the aquarium. Um, but it's just so funny that as brilliant as Hank is for story, what a technical nightmare he was to this post-production team. Um, I believe that Woody has like 400 movements that yeah. he can perform. Yeah, yeah. And I think Hank has 4,000. And it was never something that I considered because I'm thinking you have such a fluid character, it would be so much easier to design and to draw. Something like, um, you know, like everyone how always talks about how brilliant um, Ollie Johnson's snake is in Robin Hood because yes. he folds his arms. Right. I'm and of thinking course he it, has no arms. Exactly, exactly. So I'm thinking it's going to be that easy to use the tentacles. And especially we're talking about post Pirates of the Caribbean. They've already done Davy Jones. I'm like, how hard could this be? But they really had difficulty animating Hank. And that's why there's the ongoing joke about him being a septopus because they lost the last leg just because it was becoming too difficult to animate. That is hysterical. It, it really is. He's just such a brilliant character, but I, I feel like all of the hard work in getting him onto the screen completely paid off. He's great comic relief. I love Ed O'Neill, and we'll talk about cast in a little while, but I love that he's this tough guy that's also a hy uh, hypochondriac. Yeah. Like, because everybody, like, it's been parodied, parodied in the past where you'll have like, the tough guy that's afraid of, like, a spider you know, or is afraid of cats or something. But I love the whole idea that he would rather stay in captivity than return to the ocean where, like, it's dirty and dangerous. Right. He would rather stay in the tank. And it, it gives a great motivation for him because he otherwise is so selfish that he has no reason to want to help Dory because he wants nothing to do with her until she promises to give him her tag to get him to Cleveland because she just wants to be reunited with her parents she doesn't know that she's going to get shipped to Cleveland along with them because the Blue Tangs are going as well. So I thought it was a, he's a great character and it was a properly placed motivation. So it wasn't just like a wasted opportunity. That is also a great plot device too with the tag because now Dory has something that he needs. She can keep, keep him in check. Yes. And still get what she needs out of him because she has something. Correct. Um, I love the sea lions. Let's go outside again for a few moments, right? Um, because Marlin and Nemo are trying to find a way inside the aquarium, inside the Institute, and you get these sea lions. And as soon as I heard the one speak, I said, I'm pretty sure that that's Idris Elba. Because you wouldn't have remembered. <laughs> but he, he was, uh, but I, the, the comic relief that they provide, like Idris Elba, like it's the funny thing about him is you don't find him, you don't think about him as being funny. But every time Disney and Pixar have used him, whether it's here or Zootopia, like they just strike the balance with him so well that he just provides belly laugh after belly laugh in every role they put him in. I think that's just why it's so brilliant because he is such an amazing actor and he's so serious. So to see the gloves come off like this is wonderful every time. Uh, yeah, it's it's great comic relief. I love how possessive they are over their rock. Um, 
and and you need that kind of levity here because now Marlon is straight up lying to Nemo. He's trying to justify the context of what he said to Dory, and he straight up tells a lie that Nemo sees right through. So again, great growth for Nemo and, and calling him out. Um, thinking that Dory is in a restaurant is absolutely hilarious, and I wish they would have carried that bit out a bit more um especially because then it would have redeemed marlin to give him a reason to want to help her and then i would have been like all right you know you are looking at her as found family you are going to go step in and help your friend out because she helped you not because you have to save face in front of the son that you just lied to yeah he's he's awful he's awful the frustrating thing is that like you have this supposed character arc with him by the end of the first film where he kind of adopts Dory as a part of the family, right? And it is a part of the found family. It seems like all of that has gone out the window. Like, and and if that's going to be the case, then I wish that they would have played up more on him having been frustrated with having to like constantly babysit her. Like after a year, it's worn thin on him. And now he's motivated to get her back to her family where she can be with people who are going to take care of her, and it's no longer his responsibility. Like, you could have done it snarky, but also funny. And that would have been so on brand, because now he's motivated to, what? Dump her off yet again. It's a big missed opportunity here. But I like the introduction of Becky. I like the introduction of Gerald, who's just basically Ed if he were a sea lion. Right. <laughs> um, and I love that now Marlon and Nemo are are in this bucket, in this pail, that the bird is flying around with and that's how they're going to get into the quarantine at the aquarium. I love that Becky is a loon. It tells you everything that you need to know, especially because she has no, no dialogue. Yeah. Um, but I just thought that that was also such a brilliant choice instead of just doing a callback to the seagulls. Absolutely. Or having another appearance by, um, Nigel. Yeah, because using the same uh, theory, it's like, how would he have gotten to California from Australia? It's well, far- he'd fly. I know, but like <laughs> that quickly, though, it's far-fetched that, that they would run the current all the way there. Not that quickly. I don't think in terms of going with them, but like they could have written it in as he's at his vacation home or something. So, But I'm, that's where I'm saying it would have been cheap. Yeah, there's there's a means of like continuing with characters that you should continue with and then writing in new characters to fill the void like they did with John Candy in The Rescuers Down Under. Like that was a proper use of the voice actor had passed away. They couldn't use him. So we're going to kind of recast this idea, bring you something familiar, but introduce you to a new character. Well, we do get some new characters back inside the aquarium. Um, This is just comedy hit after comedy hit i love the missing octopus bit because now you've pulled humans from the real world into this situation i thought that was brilliant and we meet destiny and bailey they're so good this is where all of my belly laughs came from um we're going to talk about the cast and characters obviously but i i can't I can't talk about Bailey without talking about Ty Burrell because this is the most brilliant casting that Pixar has ever done. I love Ty Burrell. 
He's so good. But just for the character, too, that he doesn't know how to use echolocation. And then Dory tells him and he's trying to figure it out. But he becomes such a nervous Nelly about it. It's hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I I love him for it. The only other character that could have done it was Bill Hader. But we've seen Bill Hader do it in Inside Out, and he has had a cameo. He has had a cameo in this universe already. Yeah. So to go with Ty Burrell totally makes sense. But I love how we get to Destiny. I love how Dory ends up in the bucket of dead fish and goes, oh, I'll play dead. Great. (laughs) Because she doesn't know that she's about to be fed to this, this nearsighted whale shark. So for comedy wise, it's fantastic, but I love the idea of pipe pals, this whole backstory that they grew up together and, and that in conjunction with Dory having more flashbacks, putting more pieces together, more familiarity. It's, it's, it's the best screenwriting that we have seen in this entire finding universe, because I, I don't know what else to call it at this point. No, and this is where I missed Dory running into the other couple as soon as she hit California again. I I just wish that that would have been the whole story was everyone that couldn't help her the first time had a second chance to lead her through. But I love Destiny. Same thing. I love the Pipe Pals. And the nearsighted bit is... Just hilarious. especially the way they cut it against Bailey's character. It's it's amazing. Yeah, the two of them back and forth are just absolutely outstanding. What I love then is because now there's more flashbacks. We're going through the pipes. We're trying to find obviously find her parents. But Hank and Dory end up outside of the water and end up in a stroller. And Dory is in like a little sippy cup because she's obviously got to be in the water. And she's she's sitting in a cup holder and she's acting as the eyes and Hank is driving the stroller. This stroller bit is some of the best comedy Pixar has ever done. I agree with you. This is where Hank was just such a brilliant choice because any other, if it was an amphibian, you can't do this with a bird. Any other type of animal would not have worked as well as the septopus um it's absolutely brilliant it's hysterical and i love that it is a setup for another escape that they're going to use later this is like the training wheels for for the big show later nothing gets wasted yes what's what's what was a success in the first film and they carried it over here is that very little that they reference at the beginning of the movie yes. isn't paid off at the end or or called back to. Yes. And, and they do the same thing here, and I absolutely love it for the same reasons. And then you've got this brilliant comedy with the stroller, and they one-up it because once Dory and Hank get back inside, they end up in a touch the tank. touch tank. Oh, my God. Brilliant. It's uh, Again, brilliant. Hank in the touch tank is brilliant. Hank in the tank. Hank in the tank. When he inks in the tank. And she <laughs> and goes, then she says it happens to everyone. It's so, like, everything about it. This is the humor that I wish we would have seen. And I think I said this last week. You get Ellen DeGeneres. Yes, she's going to cater to kids because Dory is supposed to be silly. But when you get Ellen DeGeneres, 
her style of comedy should also cater to the adults. Yes. This is that perfect comedy that we were missing out of her because I said, you took a funny actress and made an unfunny character out of it. In this case, you checked all the boxes. It took you two films to do it, but I feel like you finally knew what to do with Ellen DeGeneres. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I love the scene too because it feels like that chaos, um, even though we have seen it, although I think Toy Story 3 came after this, when um, they're at daycare and then all the daycare kids come in and yes. wreak havoc and the toys are afraid. Um, it's reminiscent without feeling like a total ripoff. For sure. And I, I think probably because they stick the landing with the inking is is what makes it different. But um, just a really great scene. It is. Um, and then what I have here next is this whole thing with the purple shell when Dory has that other flashback and we see why she got swept away was because her mother, who is so depressed, right? Because she didn't know what was going to happen with Dory as Dory got older because they can't look after her forever. And this was their concern is what happens when she grows up and we can't look after her anymore. And Dory goes to get her mother a purple shell. And we had seen this earlier in the movie, right? That, her mother's favorite color is purple. Go find me a purple shell. And Dory goes to get the purple shell because she's upset her mother's crying. And that's where she gets sucked into the undertow, which ends up just being sucked into a pipe. It It's such a brilliant scene. It really is. I mean, there's actually a couple of heartbreaking beats here. And I want to put a pin in that because okay. um, we did jump ahead a little bit. They cut back outside to check in with Nemo and Marlin who have really gotten themselves in a jam because at this point they're separated from Becky who is their only means of getting around and they are in uh, like a tank for kids toys. Yes, that little wind up fish. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and Marlin is of course mad at Becky and not taking any responsibility whatsoever and Nemo once again calls him on it and... What I really love about this scene, like this is actually a very pivotal scene and a pivotal moment for Nemo's character because he poses the question, what would Dory do? Because she always improvises. Right. She has no experience because she has no memory, so she just works with what she's got. And Nemo and Marlon decide to embrace that, and they see the kids' uh, sprinklers... And yes. they use that as a means to get them into a bigger tank. Um, so it's it's a quick check-in, but it's very important. And then um, before Dory finds the purple shell, that's in the tank where she was born. Hank has left her off there. Um, and I want to talk about uh, their parting because I thought this was some really great writing where she says goodbye to Hank and she says, you know, I think I'll remember you. And then he tells her that she's impossible to forget. It's just such a really sweet moment. It is a really good scene. And I'm glad <clears throat> that it's not the last that we have of them and that we do get them back together later. I mean, you kind of predict, like, we're halfway through the movie. He has played too much of a role at this point where you're not going to see more of him. But I'm glad that they didn't just leave it off there and that he plays such a big role in helping her and, and she plays a role in helping him, you know, once the film comes to its conclusion. See, I wasn't expecting him to come back because 
And and same with um, Destiny and Bailey. I thought this was going to be much like Finding Nemo, where one character passes Marlin off to the next stage of the journey. I thought it was going to be like that again. And to their credit, they didn't do that as a retread. You do have characters that are very important to to helping Dory get to the next step, but they right. always come back around because now we get to see Pipe Pals play out as Bailey figures out how to use his echolocation and get Dory through these pipes in what is probably the funniest scene because now you've got Marlin and Nemo who have made their way back in. They're using the pipes. Dory's coming from another way and all uh, Bailey can see is that there's a large object coming to Dory and he thinks that she got eaten and I crack up every single time. Yeah, it's it's a home run. She's being consumed. It's hysterical. <laughs> like this is why you cast Ty Burrell. Yes. And then we end up back in quarantine, right? Because we're trying to find Dory's parents and we've been told that they went to quarantine to go find her. So here we go to quarantine to find out that all of the Blue Tangs and everybody in quarantine is now going to Cleveland. I don't know why we're going to Cleveland. I don't know why Hank wants to go to Cleveland so much. But we're all in the same room in separate tanks on our way to Cleveland. I'm really surprised, though, that they also chose Cleveland like over Orlando. Like, I feel like that would be such a natural, you know, and it's a wink and a nod to to their own brand. But I'm just surprised that they would pick a place that is so landlocked. And if they are bothering to bring the human world into this by having Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. You know, this is taking place in our world. So why wouldn't you pick a location that we would just off top or even even up the road to San Diego, you know? Well, they're not going to want to draw attention to a competitor. That's the thing. They're not going to want people to go, oh, you mean like SeaWorld? To your point, it would make sense if people were like, oh, like the living seas? Well, that that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Epcot. I wasn't even thinking um, SeaWorld. Maybe, they're maybe they didn't want to be so on the nose. I guess. That's the only thing that I could think. But yeah, why Cleveland? I don't know. Ohio had a SeaWorld and it shut down years ago. Did it really? Oh, yeah. Big failure. I don't failure. remember that at all. Big failure. Um, We got the Disney deads. At least temporarily, we got the Disney deads, right? Because Dory, and it's a great fake out, that Dory finally gets to the rest of the Blue Tangs. And they're like, are you Charlie and Jenny's daughter? She's like, yeah, where are my parents? And nobody says anything. And you think this is about to become like, whoa. Like, we're about to have our world rocked. Here comes the splash of cold water. Here comes the real moment for Dory where she is going to come to terms with the fact that she really is in this on her own and I don't know god forbid maybe Marlin accepts his responsibility and his purpose in the world being the chosen family it is it's so heartbreaking in in those few minutes that you think that Dory is too late and that she'll never see her parents again. No, and this should be so infuriating because they put us in Dory's POV and all of the words and the images just become a blur because that that's what you do when you're being traumatized and you're hearing horrible news. You just, everything sort of melts away and, and you're in shock. Um, 
And it shouldn't work, but because they have played with her POV so much throughout this film, it absolutely does. It, it Everything about it just works. And I, I, I love that you have that moment of vulnerability with Dory because up to this point, Dory has had some great dialogue and Dory is a character that you have felt bad for for the first two films because of how she's been treated by Marlon. Yeah. This is one of the first times you have seen Dory very vulnerable. And I thought that that was a really important thing to do here. Agreed. Um, so now uh, she makes it out of the tank. She goes through the pipes and she's back in open water again. We see the kelp again. Yeah. So, so we know that she's been here before. This is where she ended up the first time that she got lost after she got sucked in the undertow. Um, this is one of the most heartbreaking and heart warming scenes at the same time, because when Dory remembers the shells and then you see how many shells her parents yes. left for her to find, it shows us how hard they've been trying and how long they've been trying to reunite with her. And there's a path, a long path from every single direction to their home, knowing that one day she would find it. Uh, it, it gets me choked up just talking about it. Yeah, it's so well done. And the, the reunion itself is incredible. My only issue with it is that it's very short-lived because you don't get like a lot of time to breathe with them because immediately it's, oh my God, Marlon and Nemo. Because now she doesn't even care that Hank's going to go to Cleveland, right? Because that's where Hank wants to go. But Nemo and Marlon are not supposed to go to Cleveland. I actually think that that was a brilliant move and just so on brand for the character. Because number one, she doesn't remember, so she switches gears very quickly. So yes, she's happy, but she's not going to dwell on it for too long. Because then she realizes the other people who are important to her, she is separated from them and she can't be separated from the people who help her. Um, and then, you know, they have posed the question of what would Dory do? We see what she does. She's going right into, um, it, you know, and this is also on brand for the character too. She's always so willing to help Marlon. Right. She's not focusing on her own happiness at this point. She's focused on, I'm separated from my people. I need to get back to them. Not, this is what I wanted. I got right. what I wanted. Marlon has Nemo. They'll be fine. She's, right. she's already in, I need to help someone else mode. Yeah. Um, so I think it was totally on brand with the character, but I also think that this is where they were really successful with growing this character because they give her just enough memory now or I should say Marlon and Nemo are imprinted on her memory enough Yes, where she realizes she has to be with them too. Yeah, I think that it, I mean, it works. I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I just feel like we went from one scene to the next awfully quick. But the payoff is spectacular. Yes, because the pacing of this next scene is also very quick. So I, I feel like that sort of ramped us up to get there because now uh, you, you've got to do the great escape from the truck <laughs> to Cleveland. So you've got Destiny and Bailey on their own journey trying to jump the wall out into open water. You've got Marlon and Nemo and Hank on the truck. Yep. 
you've got Rudder and Fluke watching this all go down, going, well, we got to see how this plays out. And yeah. now everybody is going after this truck. And Gerald gets his spot on the rock, yes. <laughs> but don't get too comfortable. Even Gerald wins. I love the escape, right? I love that Bailey and Destiny are here. And again, this is to the same comic relief where it's Hank and it's Dory out doing their thing. And Bailey is sitting there like very kind of poorly narrating exactly what's happening. So now you've got Dory's parents, Charlie and Jenny, who are so happy to have finally been reunited with their long lost daughter to find out that she might be dead anyway. Just the way that Bailey goes to such extremes and such panic while he narrates this whole thing. It's so it's it's just brilliant. I also love how they animated the echolocation. Yes. I thought that was such a great stylistic choice. It's fantastic. Um, and then you've got this not not a reuniting, but you've got Marlon and Nemo meeting Jenny and Charlie for the first time. And as soon as they see each other, they're like, Oh, I know you from Dory. It's yeah. it's such a great moment. And it's it's like a little teeny tiny breather in the chaos that is this scene. I love the otters where they go back to the otters. Oh the cuddle, what is it? Cuddle time or whatever it's called or cuddle corner, whatever the name they gave it was there. Dory's like, we need something to stop traffic because they have to commandeer this truck and they use the otters and they put the otters in the middle of the road <laughs> because nobody's going to hit an otter with their car. And, and, you, they you stop, hope. and they stop traffic and Hank and Dory go back and do the same thing that we did back in the stroller where Hank's driving Dory's the eyes chaos ensues i also love uh when they take over the truck hank tells them to suck it bipeds yeah it's so good i love as they're driving around the roundabout yeah like it should remind me of national lampoon's european vacation with big ben but it doesn't it should but it doesn't it's also just a really smart choice because we've seen dory and hank have success at this before so you kind of need something that's going to trip them up and because she can't remember you're playing off that idea because she's not going to realize that you passed those signs before even though she can read um i feel like as a disney community we don't talk enough about the truck falling in slow motion to wonderful world oh my god it's I have slow-mo truck is my note, and that's all that needs to be said. <laughs> because we're talking about pacing, pacing, pacing here. It is so paced up, and then it just stops. It's fantastic. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's chaos, and it's horrifying, though at the same time, they do it in a way that's almost like angelic. It's like, it's so serene in its animation and you're just seeing like honestly it, it reminds me of something you'd see like from guardians of the galaxy it would sorry this needs to be shared so walt just knocked my book off of my lap and it flipped to a random page and all i saw was an old note that said elsa's first kill and i was like what it was werewolf by night not frozen <laughs> Why would I have ever written that down? That is going to be an interesting plot point in Frozen 3. Seriously. But yeah, I, I love the whole slow motion thing. It's hysterical. The look on their face and, and, and the way that they have it intercut with the Sigourney Weaver narration again. With the, yes. the, the rescue, the rehabilitation, the release, and how like 
it just plays the entire film out just in that moment. It's absolutely brilliant screenwriting. What's interesting to me, though, is that they all end up going back to Australia and going to the drop-off because now we just get a little check-in. You know, we see uh, Bailey and Hank teaching the kids, which is hilarious. Um so, I mean, I, I guess it's good closure that we know that because Nemo originated everything, that they go back home, they go where they're supposed to be. But I'm just kind of surprised that in Dory's story, they took her and her whole family and, and you know, just the idea of her being such a flight risk and they go back there. I mean, the drop-off is where the entire universe is sort of centered around. Right. right? So I guess, like... They're not going to have Nemo, who's now finally starting to blend in, who now finally has had kind of like the leash taken off of him by Marlin, and then they're going to reset the clock on him. Right. So I think it makes sense that they go to the drop-off. Are we ready to talk about the cast of this film? Yes. I mean, I don't necessarily feel like we need to talk about our original cast because... We've talked about how they've grown. Marlon, not yeah. so much. He's still awful and rude, but Nemo's growth was a big part of the story, as was Dory's. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll say it again because it bears repeating. They did such a wonderful job of making her a fully developed character instead of just an antagonist to, Mar to Marlon. Yeah, I will say that uh, Nemo was recast in this film, so we will give a shout-out to Hayden Rowlands, who took on the role in this film, because obviously the other actor had aged out of it. So right. brought somebody else in, did a great job. I mean, flawless. It was pretty seamless, too, because I didn't even realize until I looked it up that it was a different voice. Let's talk about our new characters, Ed O'Neill as Hank. Al Bundy. I, I mean, what else do I need to tell you? I love Ed O'Neill. I loved him in Married with Children. I loved him in Modern Family. He is so good in this. He is perfect casting. He is so funny. He is, he's exactly what this film needed. He was great casting because Marlon is so much of a curmudgeon in and of itself. You can't put two similar actors up against each other like that. And what Ed, Ed O'Neill was able to do was just give Hank that gruffness but also because you mix that in with the hypochondriac and the the softness when he realizes that he actually wants to help dory and he actually wants to be part of a group um it just becomes so balanced um he's just such a great character um and i highly highly recommend if you've not seen it there is actually a behind the scenes feature on wow. Disney Plus, shocking, uh, that you can watch in the extras of Finding Nemo, and it'll show you all about how they animated this character. Caitlin Olsen plays Destiny. She is so funny. She's got so much heart. I love the addition of this character to this universe. I do, too. And I love the character design. I love her spots. I love her pattern. It, she's beautiful. Yeah. Well animated. Ty Burrell is Bailey. What else is there to say at this point? Just brilliant choice picking a beluga um the most perfect casting and the most 
perfect obstacle for him to have to learn how to use the echolocation, which is actually, I'm only realizing that now what a great juxtaposition that is too with Destiny and Bailey because she can't see and he, they say it a million times, you have the world's largest pair of glasses. So they're, they're such a perfect balance for each other. They are. Uh, Dominic West and Idris Elba play Rudder and Fluke. They're not in the film for long, but when they are here, they steal the show. They really are. They they are better scene stealers than really anybody that was a part of Finding Nemo. Like I know Mar uh, Nigel's supposed to be like your comic relief in that one, and he's got the small bit part. Um, but really, they give all the comedy to to Darla in that one. Yeah, and here you've got such a great little um, a great little beat with them. And I do like that they bring them back in at the end. It's it's just enough. Yes. And then Eugene Levy and Diane Keaton play Charlie and Jenny, Dory's parents. They they're they are what I wish we saw more of. I'm I wish this is what we saw out of Marlin, but we don't. I love both of these actors. I think that they're incredible in the film. I wish that we had more of them, and I'm not sure that we aren't going to see a third film in this realm where they're going to play a larger role. I'm not the biggest Diane Keaton fan, but I think that she really worked for this. Um, she just gives it that perfect maternal warmth that it really, really needs. Um, and the scene where she breaks down and we do get that little glimpse of how difficult it actually is to parent Dory. Yeah. Um, she just nails it. To me, though, the way that we were talking about how you didn't write to Ellen DeGeneres in Finding Nemo, I feel like you didn't write to Eugene. Well, you shouldn't write to Eugene Levy. That's not, the thing. A, not a Disney film. No, but I'm saying he's such a brilliant actor as far as improvisation. I wish they would have given him the, the room to let him go a little bit more uh, because I feel like you squandered having him. Like he's great for, for the little bit that we do get him, but I wish they would have thrown in some more jokes or just a few because I'm sure they had it. I'm sure they had plenty of ad lib lines from him. I'm sure they did as well. Uh, final thoughts on Finding Dory. I'll let you go first. Um, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Uh, this is a rare occasion that the sequel is better than the original. And I mean, subjectively, this is my personal preference. I like Finding Dory better. Objectively, I just think that they told a better story. They wrote better, fuller characters and they executed it almost perfectly. Yeah, I think that what they accomplished here, with the exception of Marlin, is that you wrote to the strength of your cast. I think that you took at least one character who is, in my opinion, extraordinarily annoying and borderline dislikable, and you made her the most one of the most lovable characters in Pixar history. This is what I wish we would have had more of, in Finding Nemo, my opinion of Dory, Dory, because of this movie, yep. has shot up the ranks for me. Yeah. I'm never going to understand the love with Stitch, but because of this, I understand the love for Dory. She is super high on my list now, and this movie is so much better than Finding Nemo, in my opinion, that it's not even comparable. Finding Nemo was good. 
this movie was great. We're interested in knowing what you have to say about Finding Dory. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's work and all of her services. It is online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. Hocus Pocus 3. Exciting week for you as far as news goes. I mean, listen, I liked the second Hocus Pocus film. You did. You're probably more excited about this than I am. I had seen on Facebook that Michelle Outwood from Main Street Mouse had posted um, that they were going for Hocus Pocus 3. And I didn't see it in any other industry publications. Um, But... Michelle is such a great source for Hocus Pocus news because she's gotten so close to the cast over the years um, because she puts on the awesome House of Mouse Expo event um, and they are most of the cast is are regulars there. Yeah. They'll, they'll make appearances, if not all of them. You know, this year she put together the biggest reunion that they've ever had, but um most of them usually go and she's gotten to know them pretty well. So I figured she was a pretty reliable source. And um, I'd seen it around lunchtime that day. And then by the end of the workday, all of the other industry publications started confirming that Disney had it in development, which is interesting because if it's in development, I'm really curious to know who's writing it. I think that they just greenlit us. I think they greenlit a title. I don't think they have anything written right now. I just think they said Hocus Pocus 3. Sure. Well, I mean, development could... Development and greenlighting are two different things, but development could also mean that they're in talks with the cast. However, I don't know that you're going to be signing cast if they don't know what the premise of the film is. I mean, you could have a producer write up the treatment, so they might very well have some sort of outline going, but... Um, I don't know. I kind of thought that that was in poor taste of Disney to even announce something like this during the strike. Unless they're signing them on contingent to script approval. If they had it. Yeah. You could, you could be right that they had a script existing already. Yeah. Um, what I'm going to be interested to see is do they do it straight to Disney plus again, or will they give it a theatrical run? Because a lot of people were kind of surprised that it went straight to Disney Plus because it was good enough where it could have gone to the movie theaters. Um, a lot of people viewed it as a wasted opportunity to put it straight to Disney Plus. And with the mayhem that is Disney Plus right now, um, I wonder, number one, how long the second Hocus Pocus film is going to be on there before they license it to Netflix and HBO. And I wonder if they're really going to consider going for it with a theatrical release. 
Kind of how they did with High School Musical, right? Because the first two were made for TV. The third one, because it was such a big deal, went to theaters. So you have the first Hocus Pocus was a box office bomb. We know the story. You did the second film. It goes to Disney+. Plus. It's a massive success. Do you roll the dice and put this into the movie theater? I would imagine that you probably would. I think so. I honestly think that the days of straight to streamer are numbered because subscriptions are dropping so much. So now they're going to start relying on their box office dollars again. Well, this is the thing, right? Like Disney for the longest time, they were cool getting people to sign up and giving things away for free on Disney Plus because it was a very approachable price point. The price has gone up a little bit. It's not to say that it's not approachable. However, um, now that we're not starved for content and people are back in the movie theaters, there's less of an incentive to give it to you for free with a paid subscription. What I'm glad they didn't do is go back to premium access. Yes. And I would like to live in a world where they don't go back to that. But I'm not so sure that we live in that world. I know they've said that they've, they're not going to do it anymore, but they said that titles were never going to get deleted off of Disney Plus either, and here we are. I'd like to think that that's not going to be the case. I'd rather see this movie go to a movie theater. Let them rake in their money, put it on Disney Plus, let it hang out there for a while, and when the numbers drop off, when you eventually pull it down, because I think at this point, I think this is what Disney Plus is, folks. Disney Plus is just Disney Netflix. There is going to be no titles that live there forever. We've seen that this is the route that they're going to take, and when they eventually want to make more money on it, they're going to yank it down and sell it off for licensing before they get it back again. Business-wise, it makes sense. It sucks for us because they kind of went back on a promise. But I feel like for them to make the most money possible, that's probably the route that they should take. I would agree. Um, and if you've not listened to our latest Dockside chat yet, we go fully in-depth as to why this is sort of the mindset that Disney will be pulling down titles. Yes. It's more fully explained there. Correct. Over margaritas. Yes, which I invite you to drink while you join in on that <laughs> conversation. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to follow us on that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monorail Radio. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.